Okay. So there's a handout um, going to be circulated here. Today we begin our study in the book of Luke. And um, one of the things that we would like to do as we go through this is to bring to your attention uh, not only the narrative of the text, you know, explain the text and so on, but also to bring to your attention the fundamental doctrines that we believe and we hold to that are precious. So if uh, you want, you can read from the the page itself, or if you'd like, turn in your Bible to Luke chapter 1. We'll begin reading in verse 1. Luke 1, 1. Inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus, that you may know the certainty of those things in which you were instructed. So as we begin our study in the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke, I want you to keep in mind the purpose for which it was written. And he says it right here. In this age of terrible uncertainty, um, we can know the certainty of those things in which you were instructed. We can know with absolute assurance. Someone once asked the question, it's sometimes referred to as the Kennedy question or one of the Kennedy questions, says this, if you were to die today, do you know for sure that you would go to heaven? Do you know for sure that you would go to heaven? What would you say? Do you know with absolute certainty that you are currently on your way to heaven? Death today, heaven today. Do you know that? I want to add some questions to that. How do you know there is a heaven? How do you know? You've never been there. If God exists, how do you know what He's like? What happens to a person when they die? Or is the ultimate question's questions, uh, it asks, who am I? Why am I here? What does the future hold? And all of those questions and many more like them, you have to ask yourself, how do we know for sure? How can we know for sure the answer to these questions? Well, these very questions have, have fueled tremendous amount of speculation. So I'd like to propose to you this morning that none of these questions can be answered with any certainty whatsoever apart from divine revelation. Okay? Apart from divine revelation, we cannot know. Man, unaided by God, cannot possibly know the answer to these questions. They try. When man puts God out of his mind, he comes up with all kinds of speculations, all kinds of theories, but none of them fit the truth. Of God's Word. And that's why we have so much confusion and a thought about these issues. That's why when men ignore 
um, God's revelation to man, and they try to pursue the answers to this, they come up with theories like evolution or other man-made philosophies or idolatry or a variety of religions. Man is hopelessly lost when, it, when he shuts out God's revelation. And no wonder the Bible says this about man, that those who sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, that's how he describes us. Without revelation from God, without a knowledge of God, we are in darkness and in the shadow of death. We are blind to spiritual truth unless God communicates it to us. Questions about God and his purposes, about life and why we're here, about eternity and where I will end up, about sin and suffering and sorrow and virtue, as well as life issues and other issues such as creation. They all remain a closed book to us unless God chooses to reveal the answers to us and to make these mysteries known. But if God has spoken, we need to listen. We need to listen. And thankfully, we know for fact that God has spoken and his word is truth. When God reveals something to us, we use the term revelation. So in your handout, we're going to go through some of these terms Revelation. Revelation, as you might get from the word, means that God reveals something. He discloses or tells us something. It's called revelation. It's, it's when God communicates something to man that man would not otherwise know. As Daniel said, there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets, and he has done so. God has spoken. He has revealed to man extraordinary things that we could not possibly know. And he has spoken so that we might have a relationship with him and know him. And as Luke says in his gospel, God has revealed these things to us so that we might know the certainty of the things in which you were instructed. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 1 starts this way. Or the book of Hebrews starts this way. God who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets. This verse actually tells us two things in that sentence. The first thing it states is this, that God has communicated with man. That's revelation. Secondly, it states that he has done this through the prophets. And this introduces the way he communicated with man, and that is, where we bring in the term inspiration. We'll get more detail about inspiration in just a minute. So God God communicating with man is revelation, and the writing down of that revelation in an accurate way and in a way that can be understood is inspiration. So let's talk about revelation, first of all. How did God reveal himself to us? In what ways? Well, Luke and I were talking about this on the way to uh, the assembly this morning. Tell me the ways God has revealed himself to us. The first way is in creation, in creation. But, but it's limited. It doesn't give us the full revelation of God in creation, but it tells us some things about him. It tells us about his eternal uh, power, and his Godhead, the Bible says. 
In other words, the creation, as you look at the things that are made, it becomes obvious that there is a God who has created these things and that he's all-powerful. One to whom the world and men owe their existence. Now, if men reject that revelation, they are not condemned because they did not believe in Christ, but they are condemned because they rejected the light they were given. Creation tells us something about God. Conscience. I asked Luke today, I said, Luke, if you had a baby, um, you know, you came to a baby and the baby had a milk bottle or a rattle in its hand or something like that, and you took that from the baby, what would the baby do? It would cry. Why would the baby cry? Because even though it can't speak, it knows intuitively right and wrong. It recognizes that an injustice was served. (laughs) And it will let you know that. So God, through our conscience, has given us some revelation of himself about things such as justice, righteousness, and things like that to a limited degree. So we know a little bit more about God that way through providence. Providence, what is that? Well, the Bible tells us this, that God makes his son to rise on the evil and the good. He he doesn't discriminate when it comes to that. And the rain, he sends rain on the just and on the unjust. The Bible says that while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, and day and night shall not cease. And that's good for everybody, whether they know God or not. But to those who know him, we say this, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love him and are the called according to his purposes. Fourth, through his preservation. The Bible says that he upholds all things by the word of his power. We know as believers that we can cast all our care upon him, for he cares for us. And we know that uh, when it comes to his sheep, they shall never perish. Preservation of God. God has revealed himself in history through miracles. One of the greatest miracles in all of history was the parting of the Red Sea. It's still being talked about in 2011. God made himself known and is still making himself known through that one miracle and many others besides. Another way he reveals himself to us is through direct communication. God in history, revealed himself by speaking directly to human beings. And he did this selectively, uh, but such as Adam, Cain, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Paul, there were others. God spoke either verbally or through dreams or visions, but it was the pure word of God. He revealed himself to us. Number seven. Through the incarnation, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is himself God, lived on planet Earth. He lived in our midst. And it says in the scripture that it was, he was God manifest in the flesh. In Hebrews, that passage we read, uh, Hebrews 1, it says, God who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets has in these last days done what? Spoken to us in his son. That's the incarnation. Jesus Christ, God manifest in the flesh, came and dwelt among us and he spoke uh, to us. 
when Jesus Christ came, he spoke, he preached, he taught, and everything he said and everything he did revealed God to us. Couldn't have been any clearer. That revelation couldn't have been any clearer. And when men saw him and when men heard him, they heard the voice of God. For we read, in him dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Those who heard him said, no man ever spoke like this man. The disciples could say as they watched him over a period of three years that he revealed God's glory, God's life, God's love, and all of the perfections of God were revealed in the Lord Jesus Christ. God spoke to us by his Son. And then finally, through the Bible. We were not there when Jesus was on earth. But God revealed himself and has revealed himself uh, um, through Jesus Christ, but to us through the scriptures. And the words and the works of Jesus Christ are preserved in its pages. God reveals himself to us through the scriptures. See, we didn't witness the miracles of the Old Testament. We didn't witness the miracles that Jesus did. Yet through the written revelation of God, Through the scriptures, we benefit from that revelation, which is preserved for us in the Bible. So, revelation. It's the act of God revealing or the act of God speaking or communicating with men. When he did this in the Bible, or through the Bible, it's accomplished through the next term on your page, inspiration. I don't like the way we use the word inspiration. I do theologically, but I don't like the way we use it in common language. Because when we say inspiration, we usually think of something like, oh, he had a brainwave. <laughs> Good, I'm glad he had at least one. <laughs> you know? um, or we think of something like you know, a clever idea or that little light bulb that sits on top of people's heads on, in cartoons. You know, that's the inspiration to do something. That's not what it means in Bible terms at all. In fact, it's really quite far from that. Inspiration means that God reveals his word to human authors and they accurately write his words. We're going to explain some of the details of that in just a second here. But God is revealing and man is writing exactly what God wants him to write. It shouldn't surprise us that um, God who has revealed himself to us should want to provide with us, provide us a written record. Shouldn't surprise us. He wants us to know the truth. Well, if he's going to provide us with a record, it must be without error. In every word and from beginning to end. We believe in what is called the inerrancy of Scripture. It just simply means this, that the Scripture is without error, okay? The inerrancy of Scripture. The second thing we believe is what is called the verbal and plenary inspiration of the Scripture. Verbal means that every word in Scripture um, is what God wanted in Scripture, verbal. Plenary means from beginning to end, from Genesis to Revelation and everything in between, it is all God's Word, It is the truth. In fact, it's even more than that. It's not just the word, 
but it's even the tense of the word. Uh, Paul makes an argument um, in Galatians, and, it, and the whole argument rests on the tense of a word. When he says, and to his seed, not seeds, okay? And it was very clear that even to the tense of the word, uh, it is um, inspired of God. It is inspired of God down to the jot and tittle, or we might say in, in common vernacular, the dotting of the I and the crossing of the T. From beginning to end, it is the inspired word of God. Well, how do we know that? We know it because God has revealed it to us within the pages of Scripture. He says in Psalm 12, verse 6, The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver tried in a furnace of fire, purified seven times. In addition to his revelation of his word, he also, uh, we, we also have the human authors who are trustworthy witnesses. They were neither deceived nor were they deceivers. So to deny the inspiration of the scripture, we would have to discredit every single one of the 40 authors that uh, were involved in the writing of the scripture. But what's more, we would have to discredit God because of what God has said of his word. And this is not a challenge I would recommend to anybody. So the next question arises is, how did God inspire men to write the scriptures? The simple answer is, very well indeed. <laughs> so we want to take a look at two significant verses on the inspiration of the scripture. First is 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. 2 Timothy 3, verse 16. Here we read, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. The first thing we notice in this verse is the phrase, All Scripture. All Scripture. 2 Timothy is Paul's last letter, written approximately 67 A.D. And by this time, all of the Old Testament Scripture was written and was accepted as Scripture. Most of the New Testament was written at this time. But all Scripture must include every word. So when he says all Scripture, he means every word. All Scripture must mean Scripture in every part. So from, again, Genesis to Revelation. All Scripture must include every topic upon which the Bible speaks is inspired of God. So if, if God speaks about scientific issues or he speaks about historical issues or he speaks about practical issues, in every case it is inspired of God. It is truth. All Scripture means all Scripture. The next phrase is given by inspiration of God. The phrase inspiration of God comes from a Greek word meaning God breathed. God breathed. It's interesting, this word, um, it's a Greek word. It's actually a combination of two words. Um, and that's why we say God breathed. It appears only one time in, in Scripture. 
And as far as I know, this word does not appear in any other Greek literature. God had to invent a word to explain to us or to express something that is unique to the Bible. It means God breathed. Okay. It does not mean that the scriptures were written by man and then God breathed life into them. It's not what it means. It means that at their source, they are God's word. They are God-given and they are God-determined words. These are words that are true and words that are pure so that they are more to be desired than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than the honey and the honeycomb. So we can say with absolute assurance that we have God's very own words. They came from Him. God used, as I said earlier, uh, more than 40 authors to write exactly what He wanted them to say. And yet, He didn't bring, bring them into His office for dictation. Okay? He didn't say, come on in here, I have something to, for you to write. Just uh, write exactly these words as I speak them. That's not how it happened. It wasn't through dictation. Nor did God give them um, just kind of a general idea of what he wanted to say and let them run with it. Nor did he leave them uh, to come up with a scripture on their own. So the second verse comes into play here. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21. And here we read, For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men were moved, uh, holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So this verse tells us a, a couple of things. First of all, it tells us that the Bible is not man's invention. But God did use men to write it. What kind of men were they? They were holy men. Men who were sanctified. Men who were set apart by God for this God-given purpose. How did they write? It says they were moved by the Holy Spirit. The word moved means that they were born along. And it's an expressive word that is used to describe the effect of wind on the sails of a, of a ship. The ship or the boat, the sailboat, is motionless until the boat is animated by the wind. And so these holy men were born along by the Holy Spirit, animated by Him to write his own words. Taken together, these two verses tell us that the Word of God came from God and that God the Holy Spirit moved holy men to faithfully write the original documents of the Scriptures. And God has safeguarded through this inspiration um, his, the very words of Scriptures. And yet, at the same time, it's, it's an amazing fact that God has preserved for us the specific writing style of the authors, the vocabulary, the expressions, the personality, all of that comes through in their writing. And then he has taken, as I say, more than 40 authors and ranging from commoners to kings, from um, fishermen to a physician in this case. And over a period of more than 1,500 years, and he has given us one unified message without contradiction. The Bible alone is God's book. There is no other book like it. 
Theologians like to talk about um, internal evidence and external evidence that we find within the books themselves as to um, the authenticity of the books and their inspiration. I'm not going to go into a lot of detail about that. It's an interesting study by itself. But I want to say this. One of the most common phrases in all of the Scripture, besides the words and and but and things like that, okay, is this phrase or something like it. The Lord spoke. Or in the old King James, thus saith the Lord. And you see that phrase over and over and over and over again. What is God trying to tell us? This is my word. Listen. <laughs> thus saith the Lord. And he says this throughout the uh, Old and New Testament. The, the authors who wrote clearly understood that they were writing uh, God's word. It was the Lord who was speaking through them. Um, throughout the Bible, we also read in one book that another book of the Bible is the word of God. For example, uh, this is not a complete list, but Joshua, David, Daniel, Jesus, all spoke of the law of Moses. What was the law of Moses? It's the first five books of the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the law of Moses. And they spoke of it as the law of Moses, obviously Moses the author, okay? But in reality, we know that it is God who wrote, God who spoke through Moses, the law of God. Daniel speaks of the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet. And in saying that, he's saying that what Jeremiah wrote is the word of the Lord. Jesus specifically quotes from the Old Testament scriptures over and over again in his ministry, and he quotes it as the word of God. On the road to Emmaus, some of you are going through that course right now, and it is uh, the road to Emmaus was when Jesus, after his resurrection, was walking with uh, two men, and it was a long trip, Took him probably a good, good portion of the day. And it says of, well, let's just talk about it. It's uh, Luke chapter 24, 25. Luke 24, beginning with verse 25. And he says this to these men. Then he, verse 25 says, Then he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses, that is, again, Genesis, Exodus, and so on, uh, and all the prophets, that's the rest of the Old Testament, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And in that little statement, that little phrase, he is saying the Old Testament is the word of God. In the New Testament, Jesus promised to send the Holy Spirit to guide the apostles in all that they taught. In John 14, verse 26, it says this, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. And again in John 16, However, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. And so we have in those two verses a clear indication that what was coming in the New Testament is also the revealed word of God. It is inspired of God. 
Now, just as an aside, this is really not part of the main part of what I'm trying to get across here, but it is interesting that fulfilled prophecy is another amazing um, study, and it underscores the inspiration of the Scripture. God said something. I often use this when um, Jehovah's Witnesses come to my door. God said very specifically in the Old Testament that if a prophet presumes to speak in the name of the Lord and what he says does not come to pass, what was to happen to him? He was to be stoned to death. Okay? In other words, God was uh, so protective of the things that he said and wanted to assure that the things that he said were, were preserved and that somebody didn't come along and say, oh, well, this is also the word of God. Um, God said to them that if it did not come to pass, they were to be stoned. That's how seriously God takes it and the preservation of his word. It's very interesting that when God allowed the prophets to speak and to write, very often he did this in what, what we call today a near fulfillment and a future fulfillment. And the near fulfillment of their prophecy was to verify that what they said was true and came from God. And if that came true, then we know that what still has, not, still has to come to pass will also come true. Okay? And so God verified or authenticated uh, the word that way. Okay, that's a, an aside. In the New Testament, Peter spoke of Paul's writings as Scripture in, in 2 Peter 3, verses 15 and 16. He says, And consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of, the things, of these things, in which are some things hard to understand which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction, as they do also the rest of the Scriptures. And so what, what Peter is saying there, that all the epistles that Paul wrote are the Word of God, or are the Scriptures. And he, he puts it on the same level as all the Scriptures. So th- there are literally thousands and thousands of pieces of internal evidence um, that we obviously don't have the time for this morning, but that underscore the inspiration of the scriptures. Next, we want to talk about the word on your uh, paper there, illumination. It's different, illumination. The Bible is not man's word about God. It is God's word to man. God wrote his word for our benefit. But man is in darkness. We were born in sin and shaped in iniquity, the Scripture says. We do not naturally understand the things of God. And for many people, I would say for most people on earth, they can read and understand the words. I mean, they recognize the words in English, but they do not understand the Bible. These things are spiritually discerned. And when men are in darkness, um, the Bible says in uh, 1 Corinthians 2, but the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God for they are foolishness to him. Nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. Illumination, it means light. And the first light that we as human beings need to see is the light of the gospel. And praise the Lord, he has allowed people to understand the gospel in an unsaved condition 
The gospel goes forward and, pre- and is preached, and it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. Wonderful. That's the light that God gives, and it's the only light that God really gives to an unbeliever that he might see and understand and appreciate that God loves him and has sent his son to the cross to die for his sins at Calvary. And when a person believes that gospel message, they are saved, and God begins to do a wonderful change in that person's life. They begin to read the same book, and now they begin to understand it and love it and appreciate it where they couldn't before. God wants us to believe His Word. For the Bible says, So faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Once we believe Him, as I say, the Holy Spirit of God begins to illuminate us, begins to illuminate His Word. We understand it. And so it brings us really full circle to our passage this morning. God wanted to reveal something more about His Son. And so He inspired a holy man named Luke, to pen the words of the Gospel of Luke. From God's vantage point, Luke was borne along by the Holy Spirit as he penned these words to accurately and precisely write down the very words of God. And from Luke's standpoint, he took the message that had been delivered to him by the apostles, who were eyewitnesses and ministers of the messages that that, uh, they gave. He set it out in an orderly account as he wrote the gospel, and so that what we have in our hands today in the gospel of Luke are God's very words. Paul wrote at a later date, and and he verified the inspiration of the gospel of Luke. How did he do that? Well, in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17, it says this. You say, well, you're going to read this and you say, how on earth does this verify the inspiration of Scripture? But it does. Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. So Paul is teaching um, uh, an issue here, and he emphasizes the reason to do this. He says, for the Scripture says... You shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain, and the laborer is worthy of his hire. So in the first, um, in fact, he, he quotes from a passage in the Old Testament, and he quotes from a passage in the New Testament, combines them together, and he says, for the Scripture says. And he's saying both the Old Testament and New Testament are Scripture. The first comes from Deuteronomy 25.4. You shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. The second statement comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, verse 7, where it says, the labor is worthy of his wages. And he puts them together and he says, both Deuteronomy, or the Old Testament, and Luke, or the New Testament, are the Scriptures. It's wonderful. Application. Finally, we come to the reason why God gave his word. Well, there's many reasons, and we're not going to exhaust them this morning either. But I'm just going to give you three. There are many more. Why did God give us his word? First of all, as I mentioned, for salvation. That's first and foremost. He gave it for salvation. Turn with me to 1 John chapter 5. (coughs) 
1 John chapter 5, and we'll begin reading in verse 10. He who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself. He who does not believe God has made him a liar, because he has not believed the testimony that God has given of his Son. And this is the testimony, that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. To you who have been raised in Christian homes, God says this, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. God has given you and given me, given us, the Holy Scriptures. You have enough light to understand the gospel, and to believe it. If you're uncertain about your relationship with him this morning, what's holding you back? It's not that God hasn't revealed the truth to you. It's not that the word isn't inspired, because it is. And it's not that he hasn't illuminated his word, because he's told us very plainly, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. That term is so simple that even a child can do it. It's not complicated. It doesn't take uh, a Ph.D. to understand it. It's just a simple act of faith, believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have doubts about your salvation this morning, if you have doubts about him, then settle the matter today. Salvation. Secondly, for assurance. Luke chapter 1, verses 3 and 4 uh, the beginning of what we were talking about today. It seemed good, also, good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus, that you may know the certainty of those things in which you were instructed. Third, to equip us. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. David writes that the Scriptures are true and righteous altogether. He says, again, as we, we quoted this before, but more to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than the honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. And in keeping them, there is great reward to equip us and to reward us, really. Well, there's much more that uh, we could say. But let's um, let Luke give us the final word this morning. So if you could turn all the way to the end of the gospel... Luke sums up all that we've said today, and he's included, uh, he, con- he um, concludes 
his gospels with the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. Luke 24, and beginning with verse 44. I, I really like this because, um, you know, as you as you study a book, it's often good to see what it says at the beginning. But uh, if you're like me, and I always go to the end. <laughs> I want to see what's coming. I want to see where he's going. And uh, he tells us here, verse uh, 44, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the Scriptures. Then he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. So in this section, I see all the things that we talked about today. I see revelation. Jesus said, I spoke to you. Revelation is God speaking to us. Inspiration. What did he speak to us about? About the things which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. All the inspired word of God. Illumination. The things that were written in the Old Testament were things concerning him, about the Lord Jesus Christ. And it says, and he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. And then there's the application Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. One of the other Gospels, he even went beyond this, and he says, go therefore and make disciples. Okay, And so that's the application. So as we study the Gospel of Luke, let's let God's word speak to us afresh. Let's come with prepared hearts that he might illuminate his word to us and that more than ever we might hear his word and that we might apply it to our lives afresh. Let us be quick to apply it so that even as we acknowledge that he is Lord, we might also do the things that he says. Let's pray. Lord, how we thank you so much that you communicated with us. Thank you for your inspired word. Thank you for the truth that you've given to us. And Lord, as we listen to the uh, nonsense of uh, uh, philosophies and, and um, words that are all around us, we are so grateful to you for your word. Lord, you have set us straight. We thank you that you also give us the Holy Spirit who illuminates your word to us. Lord, more than ever, we cry out to you, help us to apply these things to our heart and to our lives, that we might serve you and please you in all that we do and say, for we ask it in Jesus' name, amen.